0: You are listening to the Passion City Church podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Amen. Well, in May May 1997, I'm 10 years old, and I moved from one side of East London to, to the other side of East London. There's something that's just gone down in my family. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. But I remember having to start this brand new school. It's 10 years old. You were at the end of your primary school, your elementary school age group in the UK. And I remember going to this school and it was like a week or two weeks in and this girl, she stops and she looks at me. Like they all do. No, I'm joking. (laughs) She stops and she looks at me and she says, why do you do that? I said, do what? She says, why do you do that? I said, do what? She's like, why do you do this? I said, what do you mean? She says, you walk around like this everywhere. You sit at the front of the class and you look at the the chalkboard like right up close. But why do you do this? I said, I don't know. I didn't know I did that. She says, yeah, you, you do this everywhere you go. You need to go to the optician's. In the UK, we call it opticians. G told me here, you call it the eye doctor. I need to go to the the eye doctor. And so I said, mom, I need to go to the eye doctor because I keep doing this. And she said, okay. So she took me to the eye doctor, the optician. And she sat me down with the optician and they put those glasses on me. And first of all, there was nothing there. And then they put a lens through and they said, is it better with or without? With or without? I said, my goodness, I can see. It's a miracle. This is what everybody else is seeing. In that simple appointment with the eye doctor, the optician shifted my perspective on life. I walked out of that place differently to the way that I walked into it. I walked out holding proudly a pair of glasses. I was blind, but now I see. Got me to be kind of thinking that maybe for some of us, and for me, often in life, there are some things that we carry in life that we just need a perspective shift. We need to put on a new lens. I want to look at a piece of text today from the scriptures in Luke chapter 13. If you've got your Bibles with you, please join me there. If not, hopefully it's going to come up on the screen as we go through it. But in the text today, in Luke chapter 13, it talks about the head Of the passage, if you was in London in the old days, you would have got a little boy standing on the street with a newspaper stand saying, read all about it. Read all about it. Jesus heals a crippled woman on the Sabbath. This is big. Jesus heals a crippled woman on the Sabbath. Let's take a look at the first couple of verses. It says this. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman who was there had been crippled by a spirit for what? For 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up. Can you imagine the pain that this woman was in? Can you imagine the discomfort that this woman would have felt, not just for a day or a week or a year, but for 18 years? Years, the scripture tells us the awkwardness of just trying to get around. But I love that this woman, the scripture tells us, I love that even though the fact that she was in pain and aching and couldn't move around, she said, I want to position myself around a body of believers. I want to hear the word of God. And she found her way to church. Man, some of the excuses that I've heard in my lifetime. (laughs) I've got a Peloton in my in my basement that arrived in August and, um, and uh, it's been there set up and I talk about going on the peloton. I dream even sometimes about going on the peloton. I even write up a schedule of me going on the peloton. But if you were to ask me the question, Dan, since the peloton's been downstairs in your basement in August, have you been on it? The answer would be, nope. Because nothing's going to change until you position yourself into a posturing environment where the possibility of change can take place. The crippled woman, she finds herself in church. And I don't know if this was her first time or a thousandth time. But for some reason, she finds herself in the house, in the synagogue today. And she'd probably gone to every doctor. She had tried every remedy. Remedy. She had been talking about it so much that it pops up on her Instagram algorithm saying, try this herb and try that stretch and talk to this person and talk to that person. But yet she still finds herself with the same problem. But the difference of today as she goes into the synagogue is this. Jesus is in the room. Jesus is in the room. The condition The verse tells us in verse 11, it says, the condition was caused by a what? By a spirit. If we was to read on verse 16, it would tell us that Satan, the enemy, had bound her up for 18 years. Now, this isn't something that the doctors could save her from. Her best friend couldn't save her from this illness. Her self-help couldn't save her. Or even the simplicity of turning up to church week after week after week. Friends, there are simply some things that you cannot solve by yourself. There are simply some things that your intellect cannot solve by itself, that your good deeds and your service and your strategy cannot change. You need the King of kings, Lord of lords, Lord of hosts, to be able to move and his power to move in your life. The only one who holds true authority on heaven and on earth. She needed something bigger than herself. She needed something bigger than what the world could provide for her. A scripture tells me that she needed a savior. The only way that you can deal with spiritual things is by his holy spirit. Scripture says in Ephesians 6:12 it says we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, she needed something bigger than her and thank goodness for her and thank goodness for you and I that Jesus is in the room. One clap. Jesus is in the room. And the beauty of Jesus being in the room is this. Let's take a look at verse 12. It says that when Jesus saw her, he did what? He called her. He called her. The fact that Jesus is there in this packed-out room in the synagogue with all these different types of people, and yet he sees the individual. Friends, could I put it to you today that he sees you? Even though you're in this crowd of all of these people, he sees you. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows what you need. He knows what you're feeling. He knows the pain. He knows where you're at, that you don't have to pretend. He sees you today, and what does he do? He calls you. He called this woman out of the crowd, and where did he call her? He called her unto himself. It's amazing that you can be in church and still not come to Jesus. And so the decision, whether we come to Jesus, the decision is on us. And I would think of three things as I was making this decision. Number one is this, is do I really want this thing in my life to change? Number two is this, is do I believe he is who he says he is and he can do what he says he can do? In other words, do I believe that he holds all authority? And the third thing is this is am I prepared to walk an uncomfortable walk? Picture it, this woman, bent over. I can't even bend over now. I need to stretch, man. (laughs) Bent over. Pain, discomfort, embarrassment. And Jesus calls her forward towards him. So she has to step out from where she is, from being back, To go, Jesus, I hear you, and not only do I hear you, I'm going to take the uncomfortable time to walk towards you. Despite how it feels, despite the ridicule that these people may give me in this synagogue, I don't want to be seen, Jesus. I'd rather just stay back here and I'll do me. I've suffered for 18 years. I could probably suffer for another 18 years. But Jesus calls her and she makes a decision. She goes, you know what? I'm sick and tired of being in this position. I don't have to live with this anymore. If Jesus calls me, I'm going to follow the call of God despite what that looks like. James says this. It says, draw close to him and he will draw near to to you. And so when Jesus calls her forward, he does two things the scripture tells us. Let's take a look. Verse 12, he speaks to her and he looks at her and he says, you are set free from what? From your infirmity. So he goes from teaching generically to the crowd to speaking specifically to her and her name. And what's going on in her world? It tells me that we got a personal word from a personal God. Then it tells me this in verse 13. It says this. It says he put his hand on her and he touched her. Tells me that God wants to give us a personal touch today. And there in the synagogue, he was physically there in body. But when he ascended to heaven, he gave us his Holy Spirit that would be with us. And his spirit is with us and wants to touch and move in all of our lives today. And then he goes on and says, immediately, she straightened up. Immediately. Meaning this, at once, instantly without intervening time or space. No course, no lecture, no qualification, but in the authority of Jesus, perspectives can change immediately. She went from 18 years, friends, of looking down. Her perspective was down. That's as far as she could see. 18 years of being like that. 18 years of this is how it is. And this is how it always will be. 18 years of vision so low, 18 years of being labeled a crippled woman, but one word, one touch, and simple obedience shifted her perspective from down here to her eyes set on Jesus, the one who holds all authority. I wonder where your perspective is today. I wonder what maybe you've been carrying for a long time. And this is how it's been And this is how it always will be. And this is the world. I believe today that God wants to lift your head and set your eyes on him for your perspective to shift and change in this place. And here's the thing. The first thing she did, the Bible says, immediately she stood up straight and then what did she do? She praised God. She praised God. She didn't praise the miracle. She praised the miracle maker. She didn't praise the calling. She praised the one who called her. She didn't praise the word. She praised the one who gave the word. She praised God. She got her praise on. That was the first response that she could possibly give when her perspective changed to see the face of Jesus. That her life was about praise. Man, I want to be like this woman. I want my eyes to be fixed on Jesus. And I want my life to give him praise, John Piper says this. says, do you feel loved by God because you believe he makes much of you or because you believe he frees you and empowers you to enjoy making much of him? He wants to free you and empower you today to make much of him. In my house, the Watson household down in Fayetteville, it's like East London, a little bit like East London, Just less cows. Um, We put our Christmas trees up. Anybody else put your Christmas tree up? Too soon? Not too soon. Not too soon. You know what I mean? Scrooge. Scrooge. If you haven't put your Christmas tree up, lift your hand. Okay, God bless you. See you later. No. (laughs) We put our Christmas tree up and it, it looks fantastic. And it reminds me of this time where we're growing up in East London. But for Christmas, most of the time we would jump in the car and we would drive down to the coast to a place called Bournemouth where my Nan lives. And we would have Christmas Day at my Nan's house. And we would play the game Monopoly. Any Monopoly fans? But in my household, this game is serious. There is no family. There are no friends. We don't like each other. This is a serious real estate game. And if you ain't going to play serious, get out of the kitchen. That's all I'm saying. And so we play serious. We're not going to lend you money. We're not going to help you out. This game is going to go on for six, seven, eight hours minimum. And if you bankrupt, you bankrupt. That's how it is. Still love the Lord though. So I remember I was growing up, maybe six, seven, eight years old. I used to love being the banker. Because the banker, I could control the money. And I was just dishing the money out. Even when they would go around, you know, pass, go, get $200, pounds. I would go, okay, one for you, one for you, one for you, one for you, five for me. One for you, one for you, one for you, one for you, five for me. And I would just keep doing that, keep doing that until I got caught. I got found out. And the banker... Responsibility got taken away from my hands and got put into another family member's hands. And I remember catching them cheat. <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> Who would do such a thing? I thought I can't go catching them cheat. How could you cheat? How could you cheat me? I'm your family. I'm your blood. And you cheated me. I threw that monopoly board across the room. I said, This is this is disgusting. They said, Dan, you did that. So that's the old days. It's the old days. This woman just gets a healing. Her response is the praise. But the synagogue leader's response is what? Scripture tells us in verse 14 it says, Indignant. which means showing anger and annoyance. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. If this synagogue leader had a Monopoly board, he would have flipped it across the room. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for working, so come and be healed on one of those days, but not on the Sabbath. In other words, he's saying, yo, maybe not like that. (laughs) He's saying, we've got a set way of doing things here. We have traditions, we have ways that we do things formally, ways for you to follow and we don't need you coming here messing it all up. So Jesus' response, And Luke writes, The Lord put an authority on it. Answered him, You hypocrites. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or your donkey from the stall and you lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman a daughter of Abraham whose saying has kept bound for 18 long years be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? Jesus is basically saying what you condemn, my friends, you do. Thank you. (laughs) Calls him a hypocrite. It's a strong word. You're a hypocrite. You take care of your ox and your donkey and you give it water because that's your your livelihood. Your ox and your donkey, you need them strong so they can go out and they can plow the land and they can make money for you. Well, that's your life work. Well, let me tell you what my life work is. Is that people can have real living Water. And Jesus said, I am the living water. So don't let your religious traditions make you miss the point. The Sabbath was to rest, not to sleep. It was to remember, to praise God and enjoy what he has done, to celebrate that he and only he holds all authority. The Sabbath is the Lord's. It belongs to the Lord's. So you, synagogue leader, should be praising God just as this woman is praising God. Jesus is trying to help the synagogue leader and the others in the synagogue have a perspective shift. From what you think you know and all of your traditions He's trying to help us not get caught up in our ways that we miss the goodness of God. And So he goes on and in the scripture he says this, he says that she's a, a daughter. You notice he didn't call her a crippled woman? He put identity on her name. What's the significance of that? Well, Jesus wants to tell her and tell them her identity, that you are not crippled, that you're not the doubled over woman like everybody has called you. You are not your condition but no you are a daughter you are a son and maybe for some of us in this place we have lived with names of our condition for far too long that maybe that you've been called an addict and you've taken that as your identity and maybe you have found yourself addicted but you are not an addict and maybe you've been called useless and maybe maybe that's true maybe you have felt useless at times but let me tell you you are not useless you may be called insecure and you have taken that as your identity and and there be days that you feel insecure. But that is not your identity. That is not your name. You are not depressed. You are not anxious. You are not the least. You are not a narcissist. You are not your successes. You are a daughter, and you are a son. It's the only time that Scripture uses this phrase, the door of Abraham. And I love that he says here, he says, Should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, grab that, a daughter of Abraham. So this isn't a new name. This isn't a new identity. This has always been her identity. Jesus isn't putting something new on her. He's just telling her who she actually is. And sometimes I've realized that you can have an identity, but not really live it out. She had a crippling disease, but she was not a crippling disease. She was always a doer. You have struggles. I have struggles. Hello. But I am not my struggle. I am a son of the king. Man, I tell you, this is family. Family. And I told you that when I was 10, I moved, I moved out from one part of East London to another part of East London, and the reason that happened is because my parents um, split up, and I don't really have a lot of time to go into it real now, but my parents split up, and I grew up. Well, let me just say this first of all. My dad passed when I was 27 years in a horrific accident, but I'm so thankful that we had the opportunity to reconcile our relationship at that age. But when I was growing up, my relationship with my dad wasn't amazing. In fact, it was, it was terrible. From the age of five to 10, we lived with my dad. And my dad was a detective in the police force and pretty high up, very, 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 very well respected in the force. Um, but in the house, it was different. The majority of my nights of my childhood, all I can remember is abuse physical and verbal that's it, you ask me about my childhood that's, that's my memories at 10 years old we were without a home for nearly a year, sleeping in all different places so that's why we moved to this other part of East London but I remember within those five years I remember sometimes I felt like Superman and when I heard stuff going down and Downstairs in the kitchen, and maybe my mom was getting battered or whatever. I felt like I was Superman. I would run downstairs, and I would go stand in front of my mom and try and take any hit that was going to come that way, or any object that was going to come that way. And I remember my dad. The words that he would speak over me, years after years, weeks after weeks, was these two phrases that stuck with me for forever who are you and get a life? If his eyes all messed up. And my life just lived out that. Who are you, Dan? Get life. So I tried. I tried, I tried to find a life in many different avenues of life. And I just wished at that point that I knew that I was the son of the King. Saved me from a lot of pain. But Jesus tells her that she's got an identity. That she's a daughter. And a daughter of what? Of Abraham. Why? Why Abraham? Well, the, the scripture tells us this synagogue leaders would have known the Old Testament covenants that God gave to Abraham, right? And they also would have known the Messiah will pass through as a descendant. But not everyone right now is up to speed that Jesus is the Messiah. But they know that everyone through Abraham will be what? Blessed. So Jesus lets them know that she's a daughter of Abraham. That she's good people's. Let me give you the scripture for that. In Genesis 12, it says this, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I'm gonna curse those who curse you. And all the people on the earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. So if she's a daughter of Abraham, she's blessed. She's been blessed. And she's blessed to be a blessing. So we move on and we see it more in the New Testament. We see it in Galatians. Now Paul is writing about this: the significance of this promise that was given to Abraham. Galatians 3, verse 5 to 9. Again, I employ you to go home and read it all and study it yourself. But I'm just going to give us a quick synopsis of it. Chapter 3, verses 5 and 9 talks about, Paul tells us that Abraham believed God. Believed is a key word right there. And those who believe, who have faith, are children of Abraham. And the gospel was announced to Abraham in advance. So Abraham knew that the gospel, that the gospel was this, that God is gonna justify all through faith. So if you have faith, you are blessed alongside Abraham. Jump down to verse 11. That no one who relies on the laws now itself is gonna be justified by God. The righteous, the right ones standing with Jesus, with God, are justified by faith. Galatians 3, 13 to 14, it says this. It says, Christ redeemed us. Not Abraham, Christ redeemed us. So the blessing that was given to Abraham might now be given only through Jesus Christ. So the blessing is still there. It's just now coming through Jesus Christ. Verse 22 what was promised is given through what? Through faith, through belief in Jesus. And it is given to who? All who believe. 28, 29. So in Jesus, we are one. And if you belong to Jesus, then you are Abraham's seed and you are an heir according to the promise. This is the worship team? Come and join me. I'm about to land. So we see here that Paul is trying to tell us and get across to us that we need to have a perspective shift, shift our gaze, that everything points back to Jesus and his authority. And in his authority, in our faith and belief in who he is, We are heirs and we have this identity as sons and daughters of the king. So if you believe in him and he is your everything, then we must surrender to him. Our eyes set on him because in Jesus, we are an heir. And in Jesus, you are blessed. And not only blessed, but you are free. I love that Spurgeon puts it like this. If Christ is not all to you, he is nothing to you. He will never go into partnership as a part savior of men. If he be something, he must be everything. And if he be not everything, he is nothing to you. And as an heir, you step into citizenship, into the kingdom of God. One king who holds all authority. Now, God, I'll give you this little part and I'll I'll keep this because this, this bit's good. God, yeah, you can heal the, the crippled part, but everything else, I'm I'm good, God. No, this woman, she she now has the opportunity to see Jesus' face and all she does is praise God because she knows all the fire is in his hands. A man at 17 years old messed up after that childhood in and out, different things. I made a decision right there in one of the worst places to go, you know what, God? I've been trying this whole thing called life myself but I want to be a son of the king. God, I'm going to give my life to you. I want to place all authority into your hands. I can't do this by myself, God. Maybe your situation is not like the crippled woman. and Maybe your situation is not like mine. But maybe there are some things that you have been withholding from God going I'll I'll sort this one out I'll do this or maybe often in the the story we always find ourselves with like the the victim or the the hero but but maybe we're like the synagogue leader that we're just quick to Point out things. We miss what Jesus is doing in people's lives. And I never want to be so fixed on my traditions and my ways that I miss out on the authority and the power of God. And I feel like every single one of us in this place could resonate with someone in this account And every single one of us in this place could go. You know what, God? I need to give you all a forty. God, I look at your face. You have brought me from down here to up here, and all I got to do is praise. All I got to do is thank you for who you are. That through you, I'm blessed. I'm free. I got an identity because of the authority of Jesus. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcast. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thank you for listening to the Passion City Church podcast.